Welcome to Knowing Him. This is Steve Danielson. And this is Angie Danielson. Join us each week as we explore the hymns of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and share our feelings, insights, and reflections about how each one brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy your favorites and find some undiscovered gems in our journey to knowing Him. Welcome, friends, to today's episode of Knowing Him. I'm your host, Steve Danielson. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Angie. Hi. So, Angie, you're you're lovely, and I'm feeling goofy today. So you be the lovely co-host, and I'll be the goofy one. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are talking today about hymn number 26, Joseph Smith's First Prayer. And this week's hymn corresponds to the Come Follow Me reading in James. So, Angie, you are up today. So what do you have? <laughs> I found some interesting information about this hymn, so I'm excited about this. All right, lay it so, on me. Um, so first, the the uh, composer of the text, the author of the text is George Manwaring. And um, I'm not sure if he's the one the Manwaring Center at BYU-Idaho is named after or not if sure. it's his son. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find that information, but I know he's a famous name in church history. So he was born in 1854 in Cheshire, England, to Henry and Sarah Barber Manwaring. Um, And he joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when he was just nine years old. So the whole family joined the church when he was a child. Oh, nice. Um, They immigrated in 1871, um, and he was 17 years old at that time, and they settled in Springville, Utah. Um, And he didn't really have much education at all. And so everything that he learned was pretty much self-taught. So he only went to school for a few weeks when he was a child. For a few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) But he had a job as an errand boy at a local country store. And he would borrow books from the owner of the store. And he would borrow books from anybody he could get books from. I guess he was taught, maybe his mom taught him how to read. Uh And he just devoured books. And so by the end of his life, he was very well educated. Um, And this held true with his music education as well. He pretty much was self-taught in in music. Um, He... He liked to study all sorts of different things. Stenography was one of them, which I thought was interesting. Mathematics, literature. um, And he used his stenography skills to record sermons that were given in the tabernacle. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And he had very good penmanship. So he really just taught himself how to do all these different things. Yeah, lessons in penmanship is something that seems to be lost today. Yeah. But I'm just impressed with how he just did all this on his own yeah. and because he, he had a desire to learn. Um, he started a magazine at one point in Utah called Home Circle, but it didn't last very long because he didn't have the finances to, to keep it going. Um, and like I said, he never had a music lesson in his life, um, but he became a music teacher and he taught by ear. Hmm. So, <laughs> um, And he learned to play the piano and the organ. And at one time, he was traveling around Utah visiting different wards and teaching the children in the, in the Sunday school classes. So he would go in like what well, we have primary today. They didn't mm-hmm. have primary back then, but he would go in and teach. Like, was he doing like a singing teaching or just teaching lessons, did it say? Well, I'm sure he was just teaching singing in their, in their Sunday school mm-hmm. in their, to the young children. 
but he'd just be traveling around. It was for his job, which we'll talk about later. But if he'd go to a, a certain city, he'd just ask if he could stop by their ward and teach the kids. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty funny. We don't have that anymore. No, could you imagine if you were like, Went on vacation, you contacted the primary president. You're like, hey, could I come in and do singing time today? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> um, at one point, he was a bass in the Tabernacle Choir um, in 1885 is when he started that. He's a bass. I like him better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was also a gifted poet. And he published many of his poems in newspapers and magazines starting in the early 1880s. He wrote hundreds of poems that were never even printed. He just wrote a lot of poetry. Um, and I liked this one poem, so I found um, a little bio on him that was written by, I believe, his brother, prepared by his brother. Some of it, I think, is written by one of his sons. Um, but it has a poem in here that he wrote to his mother, just at the end of a letter to his mother. But you can kind of tell... Uh, by this poem, um, you know, how good of a poet he was. It's called, Tis Good to Pray. Tis good to approach the Lord by prayer and humbly kneel before his throne to call on him who loves to hear and make our heartfelt wishes known. Tis good to lay our burdens down, relieve our hearts of every care, and seek for strength from him above who hath the power to answer prayer. Tis good to ask forgiveness, too, for every evil thought and deed, to him for mercy humbly sue, who doth the contrite sinner heed. Tis good to know that one will hear, and not in vain our prayers ascend, when to the Father we draw near through Jesus Christ, our truest friend. So I thought that was nice, and that wasn't anything that was ever published. It was just something he sent to his mom. So. Probably thought no one else would ever see it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So George Manwaring wrote many beautiful and inspiring hymns. Most were published in the Sunday School Union Songbook. So I guess that was their Sunday School mm -hmm. hymn book at that time. Um, some of the ones that were in there, you'll recognize. Some of them you won't, but <laughs> they're called. Um, the ones that were in there were Closing Hymn, Parting Hymn, Beautiful Day of Rest, Gladly Meeting, Gladly Meeting We Shall Meet Again, Beautiful Mountain Home, Welcome to our union meeting, which I thought was funny because that doesn't sound like an LDS term. <laughs> yeah. Sacrament hymn, tis sweet to sing the matchless love and Joseph Smith's first prayer, which we're talking about today. Um, the ones that we currently have in our hymn book today, which some of these might be the same ones, but just have a different name now because parting hymn sounds like sing we now at parting, yeah. which he wrote. So Joseph Smith's first prayer, Lord, we ask thee ere we part which might be closing him. I don't know. <laughs> sing we now at parting. Tis sweet to sing the matchless love, and we meet again in Sabbath school. Those are the ones we have in our current hymn book. Um, I know that in Spain, they love to sing those parting hymns at the end of sacrament yeah. meeting, more than I think we do in the United States, at least in any wards I've been in. So we often sing, sing we now at parting. Mm. I'm like, I can think of it better in Spanish than I can in <laughs> English because we sang it so much. It's kind of funny. Um... So his, his job as a music teacher didn't always pay well, so he mm. had other jobs. Sounds I surprising. I don't know anyone that's in that situation. <laughs> but So he was a manager of a retail grocery department at ZCMI, and he actually decorated the first Christmas window 
in the grocery department of ZCMI. Huh. <laughs> I thought that was just an interesting tidbit. Um, and he started his own grocery business separate from ZCMI in Salt Lake City, but then he quit that job to work for D.O. Caldler Music Palace as a traveling mm. salesman. So that's when he would go around and visit the, the Sunday schools. Gotcha. So he was going around as a traveling salesman for this music company, and then he'd stop in these wards and ask if he could teach the mm. children music. <laughs> that's funny. Um, he also dabbled in art as well and took art lessons and learned to paint. He had all sorts of hobbies and talents. Um, but he died at a really young age. So he did all this stuff in a short period of time. He, he died in 1889 of pneumonia. And he was only 35. Wow. So, yeah, really sad. Um, he died less than a month after being released from prison for practicing polygamy. So he was part of that Edmund Tucker Act, and he was put in prison. Um, so did he contract something in prison? That he might have. It didn't say. Killed him. Um, and he left his two wives and seven children. So that was sad. Um, an interesting note that in in that little biography that I found about him is that the histories of composers of the hymns in their hymn book back in the 1880s were used as part of the Relief Society's course of study at that time. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So they were learning about all the composers of the different hymns (laughs) in their Relief Society meetings. Um, And then later those were printed in the Improvement Era. So I thought that was pretty cool. So his was one of them that was in there. Gotcha. Um, If we could have gotten access to those, we could have... That's right. Good information for the podcast. (laughs) That's right. Probably for some other ones we've done before, too. (laughs) Um, So the composer of the music is interesting. There's two different names here at the bottom of the of the hymn. It says Sylvanus Billings Bond. And then it says adapted by A.C. Smith. So we're going to talk about the two of them and why it's attributed to both of them. Is it Bond or Pond? Oh, pond. You're right. Okay. It is pond. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was reading it wrong. Um, so, so Sylvanus Billings Pond <laughs> was born in 1792 in Vermont. He died in 1871 in Brooklyn. Um, he conducted the New York Sacred Musical Society and the New York Academy of Sacred Music. And he wrote songs and edited several hymnals. Hmm. Um, He composed the hymn tunes, Armenia and Franklin Square. I don't know what those tunes are. I looked in our hymn book, and those aren't in our hymn book, so Mm. I'm not sure what those are, but it talked about it like those were famous tunes, tunes, hymn tunes. Um, In 1820, he became a partner in a publishing company called Meekum and and Pond. I keep wanting to say Bond. And in 1832, he joined Firth and Hall to become Firth, Hall, and Pond. And then later it was changed to Firth, Pond, and Company. So I don't know what happened to Hall. (laughs) Um, But they were one of the principal publishers of Stephen Foster songs. So so I guess they were pretty well known. I think Hall went out to sow his oats. (laughs) Maybe. Hauling oats. <laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> According to the our Latter-day hymns, the first two lines of Joseph Smith's first prayer are from a hymn tune called Divinity that was by Pond. So only the first two lines of of, of our current hymn yeah, are attributed to him. So um, 
this tune was used in the 1889 Latter-day Saint psalmody, but not with these words. Huh. And I wanted to read those words. And so only part of, like, like I said, the first two lines of Joseph Smith's first prayer are this hymn here. And I think it's interesting in the Latter-day Saint psalmody, all the songs are listed by their tune name. They're not listed by the name of the, the hymn, which I think is really odd. Yeah, it seems like an awkward way to find the hymn. Yeah. I'm really familiar with the tune names. So um, I'll read these words to the one that's in the Latter-day Saint psalmody. Let's behold the Lamb of God in his divine array. Go down into the flood, his father to obey. In Jordan's stream to be baptized, though by a carnal world despised. So this is about Jesus Christ's baptism. Um, I'll read, I won't read these other two verses, but it's a hymn about his baptism. And only those first two lines are the same as what we have here. And then it changes to a different, different tune than we, than we have. Um, but as I was reading these words earlier this week, I realized that these are the words to a, to a, a hymn in the Spanish hymn book that mm. we don't have in the English hymn book, which I thought was interesting. It sounded really familiar, so I compared it, and I opened up my Spanish hymn book and compared it. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this is the same hymn, but a different tune. Right. So it's not this same tune. But <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. So the words have survived in Spanish, but not in our English hymn book. Yeah. <laughs> And a different tune. Um, yeah, so where does A.C. Smith fit into the picture here? So A.C. Smith, A.C. stands for Adam Crike, C-R-A-I-K. Adam Crike Smith. <laughs> Interesting. And Smith is spelled with a Y, S-M-Y-T-H. Um, so he was born in 1840 in Manchester, England, and died in 1909, he studied music as a young boy and studied later at the London Conservatory of Music. He got a certificate in tonic solfa method. Do you know what that is? Uh, that relates to like the um, the shape note singing that okay. we've talked about before. Uh, solfa is another name for it. Oh, interesting. So he was teaching to sing, read music at first sight and write it from ear. That was mm -hmm. part of that. Um, he married Emily Brown in 1864, and three weeks later, they left for, for America. They headed for California, but they were abandoned by their company when they lost a wheel on their wagon. Oh, wow. I guess they were just like, see ya. We're not going <laughs> to help stay back here and help you fix your wagon. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was crazy. So they were headed for California. They got abandoned by their company, and then they hooked up with... A company of Latter-day Saints. So they hooked up with the William S. Warren Company. They weren't members of the church. They hooked up with the William S. Warren Company, and they headed to Utah. And they like, oh, these people helped us fix our wagon and didn't leave us behind. I guess we'll go with them. That's right. Oh, it's a church. <laughs> so they moved to Logan, and he became a school teacher and a music instructor. And he actually had imported one of the few organs that was brought across the plains by Ox team. Hmm. So I thought that was cool. And then he was baptized a few years later in 1866. So he didn't get baptized right away. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I thought that was neat. So I guess it was good that they lost their wheel. <laughs> <laughs> um, his wife died that same year that he was baptized. Mm. And his 
um, after their youngest child was only 11 days old. So she must have died from complications the, yeah. from birth. Yeah, that was sad. Um, he married again in 1868 and also married a plural wife in 1874. In 1875, he moved to Salt Lake and became a vocal instructor, choir director, and director of juvenile operas. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> Teen, young kids or teenagers in opera. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fun. And he worked with the Salt Lake Theater. Um, in 1881, he moved to San Pete County. And in 1886, he moved to Manti, which is in San Pete County, where he taught and trained a choir. So when the Manti Utah Temple opened, he became the recorder and the singing instructor for the temple. And I, <laughs> we don't have that nowadays, no. and I'm wondering what he did. Yeah, how did that, <laughs> that role function? Yeah, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Like, huh. His choir sang at the dedication of the Manti Temple, and some people have recorded that they heard angels singing with them. So I thought that was neat. Um, he has more hymns in our hymn book as well. So some of the hymns that, that he wrote in our hymnal are Zion stands with hills surrounded, come thou glorious day of promise, and come along, come along, and in the primary songbook, Dare to do right. Oh, dare so. to do right, dare to be true. Yeah, that's a good song. I like that one. <laughs> um, so it attributes it to him or says adapted by him, um, because he wrote the third and fourth line. So Pond wrote the first and second line of Joseph Smith's first prayer, and then A.C. Smith wrote the third and fourth line. Mm. <laughs> um, Group effort. That's right. So I wanted to to read something from this little history um, about... From, the, from George Manwaring's history. So it says, A.C. Smith appears as the composer of the music for Joseph Smith's first prayer. This is misleading because it leaves the impression that George Manwaring was the composer of the words only, and this is an error. So he goes on to talk about how, he, according to his brother, he thinks that George Manwaring had a part in writing the tune. <laughs> Hmm. So I don't know where that comes from, but he talks about how several of his hymns he was not were not attributed to him. But it sounds like they found that this Sylvanus Billings Pond had written that first part. So maybe his family thought he wrote that first part. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. So there's a little bit of a controversy there. Um, so let's talk about our hymn. So... This hymn, Joseph Smith's First Prayer, was inspired by a painting entitled The Vision by C.C.A. Christensen of Ephraim, Utah. And I looked up C.C.A. Christensen. I don't know if you have heard anything about him. I'm not sure. But when I looked him up, I didn't recognize his name, but when I looked him up, um, some of his, a lot of his paintings you would recognize. They're all about the early members of the early saints. Mm-hmm. Um and pioneer pictures. One of the most famous ones that you'd probably know is the one where the wagons are going across the frozen Nauvoo or the Mississippi River from Nauvoo. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So he painted that one. There's also several others of the pioneers that you'd probably be like, oh yeah, I've, I recognize those, those paintings. Um, Was it 
CCA Christensen. CCA Christensen. Yeah. Um, but that was the one I okay, yeah. thought of most of them crossing the frozen Mississippi mm-hmm. River. Um, but this painting, The Vision, is not in existence anymore. Oh, really? So the reason why I was looking him up, because I wanted to see yeah. this painting, but I found out that it was destroyed, like it had gotten destroyed, and there's no copies of it wow. anymore. Yeah, which is really sad. Yeah, especially knowing that the song was inspired by that. I know. I wanted to see it. <laughs> I wanted to see what it looked like, because we have lots of paintings of the first vision, but yeah. I wanted to see his, and it's not in existence anymore, which is too bad. Hmm. Um I, I had read, I can't remember where I read it because I looked at so many different <laughs> websites, but that he had painted several different scenes kind of on this, I don't know if it was like a material or canvas that was rolled up. And so it had like the first vision and then several other scenes after that. And it seems like the other ones remained, but that one hmm. was either damaged, destroyed or lost or something. And so... It's no longer around, and I was I was bummed about that. <laughs> um, uh, here it says that the scroll was rediscovered and cut apart for easier display, but the first vision painting was lost. Oh, that's probably the website I was looking at yeah. before. Yeah. Um, so that's too bad. But um, so what happened was um, George Manwaring was on one of these sales trips for this music store that he worked for. Um, and he was 24 years old and he was a guest at CCA Christensen's home. Um, I guess staying with him while he was on one of these trips and he took him into his studio and showed him this painting that he had just finished and it inspired him so much that he, he wanted to write this, this hymn. Um, and I loved this quote. Um, I believe it was from that biography that I have here. Um, it says, the name George Manwaring will never die as long as Joseph Smith's first prayer is in print. And I think that we'll always be singing this hymn because <laughs> <laughs> it's a significant part of church history. Yeah. So his his name will never die. It'll always be known in the church because of this hymn. Um, and I really loved this quote by his son. Um, it says... The leaders and preachers of the LDS Church have been telling the story of the vision for years and years, but it was left to an English immigrant boy to put the story before members of the church in music and in song. For 48 years, the church had been content to tell the story from the pulpit, but not one musician, and there were many talented poets and musicians in the church, had attempted to tell the story in music and in song. Surely this song came through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and it will stand as a monument to the church and to the author as long as time shall last. I really liked that. And I didn't realize that this was the first hymn that was written about the first vision, but I guess that makes sense. But (laughs) it's really neat. It's beautiful. Um, So do you want to read us the words here to our hymn? Oh, how lovely was the morning. Radiant beam the sun above, bees were humming, sweet birds singing, music ringing through the grove, when within the shady woodland Joseph sought the god of love. Humbly kneeling, sweet appealing, t'was the boy's first uttered prayer, when the powers of sin assailing filled his soul with deep despair, but undaunted still he trusted in his heavenly father's care. 
Suddenly a light descended, brighter far than noonday sun, and a shining, glorious pillar o'er him fell, around him shone, while appeared two heavenly beings, God the Father and the Son. Joseph, this is my beloved. Hear him. Oh, how sweet the word. Joseph's humble prayer was answered, and he listened to the Lord. Oh, what rapture filled his bosom, for he saw the living God. So what do you like about this hymn? What strikes you? Well, I like the fact that it is really sort of succinct in telling the story of the first vision um, in a very beautiful poetic way, uh, full of imagery. Um, you know, it, it's sort of unusual in our hymns in the fact that it is telling a story. Yeah. We don't really get that from... A whole lot of hymns. Yeah. Any other hymn that I can think of. Well, the only one other, other one I was thinking of was A Poor Wayfaring Man of oh, Grief. Oh, right. There's that tells one. A story. Right, tells a story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would just have this this beautiful story, this beautiful rendition of Joseph Smith's prayer. Um, and I, I think it's, it's great because it is sort of the beginning of the restoration of the gospel. And it, it's how... Um, how the gospel started to come back to the earth was through this experience. And without this experience, we wouldn't have the the church today. We wouldn't have the Book of Mormon. We wouldn't have this hymn book that we're talking about. It all started here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read in one of the places that when I was reading about this hymn, said, even if you don't know anything about Joseph Smith or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you would understand just from singing this hymn what happened mm-hmm. in the Sacred Grove, you know. And because it's, like you said, it's telling a story. Yeah. It's painting a beautiful picture of the events that happened that day. Um, I thought it was interesting in our Latter-day hymns that she's, that Karen Davidson said, that his first, that George Manwaring's first verse of this was different. And I was trying to like sing it to the tune and it didn't work. So does she have it listed yeah, in there? Yeah, she has it in here. So it was, "'Twas on a lovely morn in spring, the sun was shining bright. When Joseph saw the woodland shade and humbly kneeling, there he prayed for wisdom and for light." And then she says, by the time it appeared in print for the first time in the Juvenile Instructor in 1878, it had taken on quite a different form to become the hymn we sing today. So did the editors, like, change it around or something? I don't know. It might have been that the uh, the number of syllables didn't work to make it into a hymn. And that yeah, happens right. sometimes. You write a poem out, but if you want to create a song where it's the same every verse, you got to have the you same number of syllables yeah. for each line. So anyway, I thought that that was interesting. (laughs) Um, And um, it said also in here that the original title was restored in the 1985 hymnal. Yeah, in the uh, older hymnals, they were calling it, Oh, How Lovely Was the Morning. Yeah. Calling it by its first line. Uh Um, But I guess Joseph Smith's first prayer was the original title. Yeah. But I'd read somewhere else that, it was called Oh How Lovely Was the Morning, but I'm I'm not sure. So I'm thinking that it was originally called Joseph Smith's First Prayer, at least the poem, mm-hmm. maybe. And, and then the song was probably <laughs> changed to yeah, Oh it How was Lovely a, Was the Morning. You know, you talked about that LDS psalmody where they were listing by tune names, and then it became a uh, convention to just list the first line of the hymn. 
Uh, Which doesn't always work. Doesn't always <laughs> Sometimes work. Sometimes it works, but yeah. doesn't always work. <laughs> uh, and so sometimes having a title that gives more of a representation of what the hymn is about is a yeah. better way to go. <laughs> yeah. So let's turn to our Come Follow Me lesson. So I picked this hymn because we have quite a well-known verse of scripture in the book of James <laughs> that that actually led Joseph Smith to go to this grove of trees and pray. Yeah. Um, and it's James 1, 5. So I'll read that. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So we're going to read in Joseph Smith's history in a minute, but tell me, tell me why you think that this inspired Joseph Smith. Um, I think... One of the things that I, I like about it is that it inspires action. It's not just, you know, if you want wisdom, then, you know, sit and think for a while. It's get down on your knees, pray, ask God, do something. You need to, you need to literally ask God if you want to find this wisdom. Yeah, I like that too. And I think that's how our, that's how our faith is tried all the time. If we want to increase our faith, we talked about this, um, I think, last week with uh, when faith endures. If we want to increase our faith, we have to do something about it. We can't just sit idly. Yeah. So we are actually going to read um, a little bit of a lengthy section <laughs> in Joseph Smith's history in The Pearl of Great Price. So this is in Joseph Smith's own words. Um, but I think it's really good because it kind of helps us to understand what was going on in his life at the time of um, when he read this scripture and received this vision of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. So we are going to read in Joseph Smith History, verses 8 through 17. So I'm going to have you read some too because it's quite okay. lengthy. So maybe like read two verses and then I'll read two verses. So just to give you some background during this time period this was 1820 there was a lot of revivals in religion a lot of um spiritual revival and in the whole uh united states but Mm. especially in like new england yeah um so this was when joseph smith was experiencing this during this time of great excitement my mind was called up to serious reflection and great uneasiness but though my feelings were deep and often poignant Still, I kept myself aloof from all these parties, though I attended their several meetings as often as occasion would permit. In process of time, my mind became somewhat partial to the Methodist sect, and I felt some desire to be united with them. But so great were the confusion and strife among the different denominations that it was impossible for a person young as I was, and so unacquainted with men and things, to come to any certain conclusion who was right and who was wrong. My mind at times was greatly excited. The cry and tumult were so great and incessant. The Presbyterians were most decided against the Baptists and Methodists, and used all the power of both reason and sophistry to prove their errors, or at least to make the people think they were in error. On the other hand, the Baptists and Methodists, in their turn, were equally zealous in endeavoring to establish their own tenets and disprove all others. So Joseph Smith was going to these different meetings. He was only like 14 years old. But he was going to all these different meetings of the different denominations and trying to figure out which one was telling the truth because they often seemed to be fighting and contradicting each other. 
In the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what is to be done? Who of all these parties are right, or are they all wrong together? If any one of them be right, which is it, and how shall I know it? When I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contests of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James, first chapter and fifth verse, which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did, and how to act I did not know, and unless I could get more wisdom than I had, I would never know, for the teachers of religion of the different sects understood the same passage of scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in setting the question by, settling the question by an appeal to the Bible. At length I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness and confusion, or else I must do as James directs, that is, ask of God. I at late at length came to the determination to ask of God, concluding that if he gave wisdom to them that lacked wisdom and would give liberally and not upbraid, I might venture. So he felt from this scripture that he could go to God and ask because he wasn't receiving the answers he was seeking for from the pastors and the ministers of these churches. So in accordance with this, my determination to ask of God, I retired to the woods to make the attempt. It was on the morning of a beautiful clear day early in the spring of 1820. It was the first time in my life that I had made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction— not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son, hear him. What are your feelings and testimony of this account? I, I owe so much in my life to this experience. Um, because Joseph Smith went into the woods to pray. Um, and because of this experience, the restoration of the gospel, I have what I do in my life now. Without the gospel, you and I would not have met. We wouldn't have the family that we have. We wouldn't be sealed for eternity in the temple. Um, I am 
so grateful that Joseph Smith had the courage to ask, to ask God where to find truth. I am equally grateful for Joseph Smith, and I know that this this vision he had of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ really truly did happen. And because of that that vision and the knowledge he gained that the true church of Jesus Christ was not on, currently on the earth at that time and needed to be restored, it has brought such great blessings to the earth and to my life. And I am so grateful, like you said, that he had the courage to go and pray and follow the words of James to, to ask God mm-hmm. for, for the answers. And I know that all of us can, can do that. We can know that things are true for ourselves, and we can pray about it and receive an answer from Heavenly Father um, of the truthfulness of the gospel. Um, and I just, I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, and I'm so grateful for for everything he did. And I'm grateful that we continue to have prophets on the earth today that continue to receive revelation for our time. And um, it's going to continue all the way up until Christ comes again. Um, I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to sing? Yep. Oh, how lovely was the morning Radiant beamed the sun above These were humming, sweet birds singing Music ringing through the grove When within the shady woodland Joseph sought the God of love when within the shady woodland Joseph sought the God of love. Humbly kneeling, sweet appealing, t'was the boy's first uttered prayer. When the powers of sin assailing Filled his soul with deep despair. But undaunted still he trusted In his heavenly Father's care. But undaunted still he trusted In his heavenly Father's care. Suddenly a light descended, brighter far than noonday sun, and a shining glorious pillar o'er him fell around him shone, while appeared to heavenly beings God the Father and the Son, while appeared to heavenly beings, God the Father and the Son. Joseph, this is my beloved, 
Hear him, oh, how sweet the word. Joseph's humble prayer was answered, and he listened to the Lord. Oh, what rapture filled his bosom, for he saw the living God. Oh, what rapture filled his bosom, for he saw the living God. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today as we discussed the hymn, Joseph Smith's First Prayer. As always, it's a joy to be with you and to discuss the hymns. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit our website, knowinghim.weebly.com, or email us at knowinghim.gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and what you think about the podcast and about the hymns. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us next week as we sing our way to Knowing Him. Thank you.